Good afternoon, I'm Callie Crossley, and this is a slice of Boston history. 101.7 WFNX with the B-52's Dirty Back Roads by request. I'll serve a cure with the blood. Eight minutes now past one o'clock, Saturday afternoon. Tony V in at two. I'm Bruce McDonald here till that time, bringing you music from the Longriders, Colorfield, and the Delphawagos. At the channel tonight with Rods and Cones, it's Down Avenue. Great lineup. Check that out. Here's Winter's Past, 101.7 WFNX. That's a WFNX air check from 1985. The alternative rock station was recently bought by Clear Channel. It will air its final broadcast in July. Donna Halper, as a radio historian, uh, how do you regard the sale of WFNX to Clear Channel? Is it a death knell to independent radio, or is it a natural course of media evolution? Well, first of all, thanks for having me on. I regard it as a wake-up call. Um, radio could go in one of two directions now. The only thing that keeps radio alive is live, local, interesting, compelling broadcasts, or else why would people listen? The homogenization of the industry is, is killing it. And WFNX was a wonderful example of being live, being local, being unusual, being compelling. If we allow it to die, if we just say, oh, okay, fine, now radio, it was just inevitable. No, it wasn't. And if we can find something to take its place, if we can create something to take its place, there will be reason for people to listen to whatever that is. So, no, I'm, I'm not totally pessimistic. But I got to say, I'm worried. Let, just for clarity's sake, for people who don't know Clear Channel, uh, describe Clear Channel and and why it's considered to be a behemoth, if you will. Well, in in 2001, a writer for then Salon magazine, a guy named Eric Bowler, referred to it as the Borg of broadcasting. If you know the Star Trek metaphor of the Borg, resistance is futile; you will be assimilated. And at that time. Clear Channel, because of deregulation, owned 1,200 radio stations. And now they're down to, I think, 800, but still, it's, it's an inordinately large number of stations. Now, disclaimer, I have nothing against the people of Clear Channel. I don't. I know many of them. I've worked with many of them. But the idea that one corporation can own 1,200 of something, it really does put a chill on the freedom to broadcast in many cases. Now, I know people will disagree with me. People are, oh, you know, it's just business. Yeah, but when you are run from a corporation, they very often determine what your format's going to be, what music you can play, what programming you can do. And that's why independent radio really is so important. It may be a dying breed in some cities, but it's really necessary as a counterbalance to corporate radio. All right. That's Donna Halper. She's a radio historian and the author of Boston Radio, 1920 to 2010, A History of Boston Stations and the Personalities Behind the Mic. Bob Bidner, you know what it takes to keep an independent independent radio station going. You run WJTO in Bath, Maine and WJIB in Cambridge. So how have you managed to survive in what is a an environment that Donna has just described where the small are being the small and independent are being eaten up well first of all i don't think i would be able to do it survive if we did it the same way that most commercial stations do and that is to sell advertising um, my stations uh, the one in bath on 7:30 on the dial and the one in cambridge at 7:40 on the dial um, it's basically uh, listener supported pretty much like uh, Public radio, even though we're not a nonprofit organization, and I state so when I do fundraising every summer. And the listeners come through every year on both stations, even in Maine, which is quite amazing. And if I had to uh, do the commercial route without doing listener support, it would be very, very tough because in this business, it's either feast or famine. Hmm. Queer Channel is feasting. Little guys like me, uh, as the Boston Globe once described me, I was a minnow in the media universe. <laughs> as a minnow, and, what are you playing yes. on the air? What's what's on the air? I, I, I'm playing uh, adult standards music, Artie Shaw, Glenn Miller, 
some of the softer Elvis Presley, um, Tony Bennett, Frank Sinatra, Doris Day, early Beatles, the Chiffons even, and some of the Supremes, but basically 1940s through 1960s and some Engelbert Humperdinck's uh, hits from the 70s. And it's a nice, nice blend of music. It really is. How and, do people find you, by the way? I mean, it... it oh, they're just fine. I've been doing it for 20 years in Cambridge, 21 years almost, and uh, <laughs> they find me just uh, word of mouth. And the station does have quite a large listening audience. It's mostly people over 50, which uh, brings to point another problem with doing radio or good radio with uh, old music, let's say, and that is most advertisers don't care one bit about people who are over 50. Once you cross over that 49 to 50, you're dead meat. Uh, they don't care about you. And there's reasons for it, too, and actually legitimate reasons, because advertising agencies say that older people have a – they're tougher to convince to buy something. Buy something new. I guess. Buy or, something new right or just now. buy anything. Okay. Because um, we have our mindset made up. We're more experienced as opposed to aiming for the 22-year-old who can't afford it, doesn't need it, and will be stretching it out on credit cards for the next five years. Okay, and that's, that's what really drives the economy in America is credit and debt, not the actual sale of the item so much. That's my it's guess. kind of like buying a, a printer for $79. And then you spend $600 in toner for the next year or two. That's my guest, Bob Bittner. He uh, yeah. runs WJTO in Bath, Maine, and WJIB in Cambridge. Uh, back to you, Donna Halper, because Bob touched on this generational gap. You wrote a piece uh, talking about the sale of WFNX uh, for my Beat the Press colleague, Dan Kennedy's blog, Media Nation, in which you talked about, uh, you shared an anecdote, really, uh, which I wish you'd share here, which speaks to a generational gap. Well, actually, funny you should mention that because I just had the same thing happen to me last week, and I'll do both of them condensed. Um, I was at a car dealership getting my car repaired, and um, I asked the guy that was waiting on me what his favorite radio station was, and he was maybe 24 or 25, Um, and he said, um, oh, I, I never listen to radio, but my mother does. And I just had the same thing happen. I was speaking at a conference the other day. Interestingly enough, a college about a conference about media ecology, which is how each new medium accommodates and changes other media. That's what I was talking about. And there were a bunch of kids out on the lawn, and I figured I'd just do my little survey. And I walked up to them, and um, I said, um, you know, what's your favorite radio station? And they all looked blankly up at me, except for one who said, um, I listen in the car when I'm commuting, and I, it just – when I hear things like that, it makes me sad because, again, I don't want to beat a dead horse. But what I said in my column was that by allowing the kind of deregulation that we have, by homogenizing voice tracking, playing the same personalities in 500 different cities, we've taken away the reason – that kids have to listen to radio, and we've taken away its personality. I really believe that that's an issue, and the fact is we're not apprenticing in the new generation. When I was a kid, and I'm not that old, when I was a kid, I remember listening to the DJs and thinking, wow, I want to be one of those DJs. Today, we're not doing that because it's the same DJ in like 50 different cities. If we could develop the new generation of DJs, maybe people would listen. If we could play new music, if we could do exciting talk programming instead of people screaming at each other. Now, you guys are doing that, and God bless you for it. But I'm talking about in the local markets in many cities, that doesn't exist. So the only time kids listen is when their parents force them to listen. But they no longer bond with radio. They no longer have radio dreams. And yet, as Bob has pointed out, there is still a passion for radio. We saw this with FNX, which is why so many people were so disappointed when it went off the air. Those were young people who found something they wanted and they listened to it. We could do that again if we wanted to. Uh, Bob, I wanted to pick up uh, something that Donna said because uh, when people when she talks about homogenization, I just want to be clear that people understand that that means that 
the same guy that's on a clear channel station here in Boston will show up in Phoenix, will show up in Memphis, will show well, up in happen. Pittsburgh. Yes. And mm-hmm. uh, the playlist will be the exactly the same. Now, what I find interesting is that you say, because you're doing something different, but you say that people don't seem to be upset about the same playlist over and over again in, at some of those stations. Can you talk to me about... Uh, what is this balance between wanting what an independent station could ostensibly bring, but at the same time, people are responding to Clear Channel by accepting the same old, same old playlist? They do accept it, but as Donna said, radio listenership is way, way down. And it's not that they're mad at the station that they're, they've been listening to for all the repetition and all the sameness. They just turn away and they go to iPods or Pandora or somebody else, okay? Um, and this is this whole thing with uh, WFNX, uh, they had um, a situation where, first of all, I don't relate to the people that listen to WFNX. I don't relate to the music whatsoever. But I realized it was an extremely important radio station in Boston. They broke and a lot of the local bands, make, make, making them national, and they expose lots of new music like other stations like owned by Queer Channel or Cumulus or Citadel wouldn't do, okay, because they only play, want to play tested music. But FNX was the heart and soul of Boston radio for the nightclub scene and local musicians. A fantastic station. I can't stand it myself, but <laughs> I, I realize the importance that it must be there. Can I, and can I add have something that be a, And have that be... Uh, simulcasting. Now, we don't know if Queer Channel is going to simulcast their 1200 station with the uh, frequency 101.7 WFNX. We don't know that for sure. But mm-hmm. if they do, which is something they've done in other markets, then that would be a shame to have a simulcast of two signals, a 50,000-watt AM station on 1200 simulcasting this FM station mm-hmm. or the other way around. That's a waste of spectrum. Just so a big company can get one or two more ratings points for their AM station to have it tagged with the FM. That is a that's a shame to have to do that just for somebody's gain when you and at the same time killing off an a, an important Boston institution like FNX. Donna, you want to add something? Yeah, I wanted to add something. Um today, actually this week, uh, a new album by a rock group called Rush came out. And as many people know, I discovered them and we're friends and et cetera. But what I could do back in the 1970s was put that record, their first record, on the air, get it played, get the DJs behind it, et cetera. There's been a domino effect with deregulation. Not only are there fewer record companies where a band like Rush could go to get signed, there are fewer bookstores, there are fewer stations, there's fewer everything. And as a result, a station like an FNX, which was one of the few places where a local, untested, unsigned band could in fact audition in some ways. We used to do this at WMMS all the time. We'd have like a lunchtime concert where a new band would come in, they'd do a couple of tunes. It was almost kind of like the gong show in a way, except they didn't get gonged. But That people, was real radio. Oh yes. yeah, but that's my point. Mm-hmm. People would respond to it because they felt they were helping to make a hit. And today... It's all been decided in some ways, and there's so few choices. It seems like there's more choices. but Decided in Cleveland. Yeah, that's my point. All right. I'm Callie Crossley. We're talking about Boston's airwaves with a focus on what we lose when our independent radio stations go away. The Boston Radio Conversation continues on 89.7 WGBH. Funding for our programs comes from you and the Massachusetts Teachers Association, reminding everyone that adults play an important role in encouraging children to read. Reading is the key to success, so read to your children every day and encourage them to love books. And Concord Lamp and Shade. If one of my colleagues in another business asked me about sponsoring programming on GBH, I would answer very positively. Ann Eckert, owner. 
if their customer base is anything like the customer base that's being served by Concord Lamp and Shade, there is no doubt in my mind that they would benefit. To learn how WGBH can benefit your business, visit WGBH.org slash sponsorship. As a DJ, it's my job to to break new music. And globetrotting, taste-making DJ Diplo has been doing just that, mining dance scenes from Rio to Washington, D.C. and Amsterdam to New Orleans. I'm really influenced by what overall is out there and how, how exciting it can be to introduce these kind of sounds to different people. The World According to Diplo, later on All Things Considered from NPR News. This afternoon at 4, here on 89.7 WGBH. The June Community Campaign has ended here at WGBH. Isn't that great? Super. Really, really cool. And you are responsible for its great success. For other ways to support your community through WGBH, visit WGBH.org slash volunteer. And thanks. back to the Callie Crossley Show. We're taking stock of Boston Airwaves in the wake of the sale of WFNX radio station. Here with me to take on looking at the state of the media, particularly Boston radio media or radio historian Donna Halper and Bob Bindner, who runs two independent stations, WJTO in Bath, Maine and WJIB in Cambridge. So there's been some fair amount of gnashing of teeth since the WFNX sale was announced. But uh, yesterday, Scott Hellman in The Globe sort of pushed back and said, uh, some of you people are just whiners, that yes, it's not good to lose an independent station, but after all, it was was commercial, and that there is plenty of room for the kind of independent uh, fertile creativity and the hearing of new songs and artists on the college radio stations. And we both know, we all know that Boston has plenty of colleges in the area and there are a number of college radio stations. He cited a few as examples of doing the kind of thing that he said in the past a WFNX might have done, but not so much in recent days. I'd like both of you to respond to that. Uh, Donna. Yes. Um, While it is true that there are some college stations that are doing these sorts of things, When you're dealing with college radio, and I mean, I got my start in college radio. I will always love college radio, but it's sporadic. You never know if those programs are going to still be around, if the student graduates, maybe they continue it, maybe they don't continue it. Maybe the administration makes an arbitrary decision, kind of like a format change. Oh, no, we're not going to play this anymore. We're going to play some other kind of music. And you really are seeing more and more that where radio stations at the college level used to be a student activity, now a lot of administrations regard them as a business. There are student stations that are expected to turn a profit. They're expected mm. to sell advertising. So the, the myth of the independent college station where the young announcers just do their thing, that may be as endangered as some of the stations like WFNX. So while it is true, that there are a few stations in Boston that have individual programs that have been on for years doing just amazing things. When, God forbid, the announcers of those programs die, will those programs live on? I don't know, because you really are at the mercy of the administration. Bob, what do you think? Uh, I agree that it's not centralized anymore without WFNX for the, you know, the, the, the street scene or the nightclub scene and things like that, and for that kind of music. Uh, the college stations are not a good substitute for that, not even all of them put together because, as Donna says, schedules change all the time. And less and less college students are, are even interested in radio, and they probably have lots of spaces to fill sometimes, and you never know what they're gonna, you're going to hear. But on FNX, you knew what you were going to hear, okay? And mm-hmm. that's why that is so, so very important. And one other point I'd like to make. When you have too many stations in the hands of too few people, or corporations, democracy is actually threatened. Now, that's quite a statement, but think about it. 
Okay, we're thinking about it. I thought you were going to add something to it, (laughs) Donna. (laughs) Obviously, I I know. Absolutely, add something to it. Um, Particularly now, if we could segue away from music for a second, Mm -hmm. and I'll add something to what Bob just said. Um, I've said on more than one occasion that democracy depends on a wide variety of not just views but music at, you know different personalities different announcers because everybody brings something different if political talk radio is all one-sided if there's only one viewpoint if the ethnicity is all just pretty much 99.999% white and upper class which not, actually you know, we could talk about in Boston because that's pretty much uh, well, the Boston yes, scene absolutely yeah. but I'm saying that these kinds of things are dangerous to democracy because they don't give agency to people to speak about their own issues. WFNX was really good in that regard. For a commercial station, and yes, I know, they sold commercials, but for a commercial station, you had a wide range of music, you had a wide range of views, you had a wide range of programs. Those kinds of things are essential if society is to continue to progress. If we're just going to homogenize, and I'm sorry to keep coming back to that word, but if we're going to totally be dominated by a small oligarchy, a small group of corporate voices, makes tons of money for them, but boy, it excludes an awful lot of voices, and we need to hear those voices. You're listening to 89.7 WGBH and online at WGBH.org. We're talking about Boston's airwaves with Donna Halper and Bob Bittner. Donna Halper is a radio historian, and Bob Bittner owns and operates two independent radio stations in New England. I do want to talk about the lack of uh, ethnic radio, or if you will. For a long time, there was WILD. I mean, we should put this FNX sale in recent context. So there was BCN that went away in 2009, and then WILD, which was an AM station that mostly catered to an African-American audience, a local audience, got bought, got sold, and then, you know, whatever. But then it went away uh, about a year or so ago, and it's been taken over by uh, people who are live in China, and it's really programmed for China. I mean, Ch- mainland China, not yeah. Chinese Americans in, in Boston, the which might have been interesting, China. actually. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but in any case, what we have now is what's widely known as a pirate station, uh, 106 uh, FM Touch. We really wanted to talk to some of the folks over there, but couldn't get uh, a hold of them, really, to get them on the air with us today. But I wanted to give people a sense of what W106FM uh, is like. For those of you who have not heard it, here is just a sample of what it sounds like. 445-1061 is your direct connect inside to Court B, your favorite Boston baked bean. And I'm going to show you why right now. All right? Don't you move. Don't you touch that dial. I got more of what you want to hear coming up right now. Lock it in. It's your number one, baby. Touch with 06.1 FM. Touch 106.1 FM. This is Governor Deval Patrick, and you're making your way through the midday with Courtney Boston on Touch 106.1 FM, the fabric of the black community. Feel and hear the difference. Well, Donna, that's interesting because that's the governor, and it is a pirate station. I mean, the FCC has essentially just said we're, we're not going to, you know, take you to jail, but they, uh, they're a low-watt station that uh, they exist on the Internet to some large degree, but a huge following and a big touchstone for a lot of people in town. Absolutely. I'm, I'm a big sister, and that's my little sister and her family's favorite station. Um, what Touch is doing needs to be done, and they do it really well. I mean, I, I was a radio consultant for 28 years. I got to tell you, they do a really good job. God bless them. But it begs the question of why a city the size of Boston has never had a full-time, 24-7, full-power minority voice, okay? Even WILD, much as I loved it and I used to work there, um, it was a daytimer. It went off the air at night. So, yes, there are some stations in Boston, including Jammin', including Kiss, that do play some black music, but we're not just talking about playing the hits. We're talking about having those voices, having those people who The community connection. Thank That's you. what w- Thank 106 you. has. That's yeah. exactly yeah. right. And, Big time, yes. Yeah, and the fact that that doesn't exist in a market the size of Boston except on a pirate or a low power or even a daytimer has always mystified me. 
Bob, I want you to speak about Community Connection. I went to your website, and I just was fascinated with the ultimate transparency. <laughs> you put right up there on the page, okay, here's what it costs yes. to run this station. Here's how much I need. Um, and, you know, here are the number of people who gave this or that. Uh, here's what you get if you give this amount. And when I get enough, I'll stop fundraising. If I don't, then I'm not on the air. It's pretty pretty well, solid connection that, with your listeners. <laughs> it is. It is. I have a good relationship with listeners. Uh, and it, it's just a, a nice thing to do an independent station. And one thing we were talking about before about independent stations, will they last? Um, in general, probably not because uh, the value of the stations, if you were to sell an independent station, is greater and greater because the Telecommunications Act of 1996 allowed any company to own is just about as many radio stations as they wanted to. Some caps in, in cities in certain markets, like eight stations in New York is the most you can have, uh, and in Boston, the same thing. But uh, that doesn't mean you can't buy stations or eight stations or six stations or four stations, even in Des Moines, Iowa or Coeur d'Alene, Idaho or whatever. You can have stations in every market and lots of them. And that's the problem with the Telecommunications Act of 1996, pushed by our friend Newt Gingrich and his, uh, you know, his party. And uh, Donna blames that- the Massachusetts legislators too, though, don't you? Oh, I, I, <laughs> I blame a lot of people. There's a lot of blame to go around. Um, once yeah. upon a time, the kingdom far away, the National Association of Broadcasters, bless their hearts, um, stood up for the little guy. But unfortunately today – No more. Yeah. You have much more of a corporate focus. Again, I'm not going to bash corporations, but I don't think the attitude of favoring corporations over the smaller broadcasters has been good for broadcasting, and I think it's driven people away. So, Donna, let's go back to the, the point you were making in the, in the speech uh, about uh, – media ecology, how one thing changes and it impacts the shift overall. So as we've seen these, you know, the the rise of low wattage uh, pirate stations, uh, Bob Bittner hanging on as he can with the support of his folks. And when they he doesn't have that, he goes away. The sale of a BCN in 2009 and now the sale of an FNX and who knows what else is coming. Uh, what does that mean about the future of Boston radio, period? Well, first of all, BCN has gone to the web. Sam Copper and a couple of the other BCN folks have tried to revive it as an Internet station. I don't know how well that's doing, but, you know, long may they run, and I hope that they do continue. I I just – radio is constantly changing. I was saying to your producer before we came into the studio, there has been a history of people predicting the death of radio, okay? Uh, When talking pictures came along in 1927, everyone, oh, this is the end of radio. When television came along in 47, 48, oh, no, this is the end of radio. Then it was the internet. Except, look at us. You have a website, you have podcasts, you have a stream, you have accommodated the new technologies, and yet you're still doing radio. So I say that radio can continue to survive if it reaches out to a new generation, if it creates live and local programming. But in a corporate environment where it's all about the profit and saving a few bucks by getting rid of staff, will there be those independent voices? I don't mind if they play the hits. I like the hits. Hits are good. I don't mind if they have certain talk shows. I mean, I don't mind any of it as long as it's live and local. And what worries me is that the next generation is saying, eh, what's the use? There's no point. Except there is a point. We're still here, aren't we? And we've always been here, and there is no mass medium. The Media Ecology School talks about this. Okay, Marshall McLuhan, Neil Postman, they've talked about how no mass medium befriends you like radio. Mm. Radio is like your best friend. It talks directly to you. Paul Levinson, a famous media ecologist, said that radio is like eavesdropping on the world. There are people listening to us all over everywhere. They want to call. They want to react. They want to have a conversation with us. Who does that better than radio? It would break my heart if we gave up on radio. I won't give up on radio. I don't think you will either. Um, uh, one thing I want to add that I had recently read that uh, someone, some young woman, has purchased WILD-FM to go on the internet as well. So mm-hmm. waiting to see if that in fact happens. Bob Bidner, yeah. uh, it costs, yes. uh, it, it seems to me when I read your website, $75,000 a year to run your station. Well, how do yes. you, uh, what are the other challenges? How do you, how do you manage? 
uh, it just that's it's just a simple thing of numbers. It, it costs about seventy five thousand to run, and I get the seventy five thousand uh, as a total from many of the checks from the people. Over two thousand people. What are your expenses? Because it's mostly you, uh, right? Yeah, mm. and, uh, and my my biggest expense is forty two thousand dollars a year in rent. Mm. Okay, where the tower sits. Um, Do you have to pay ASCAP and BMI? Uh, not anymore because BMI categorized me as a non-commercial. Oh, okay. uh, for ASCAP. people who don't know what that is, that's a uh, rights yeah. uh, to music. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, so the royalties aren't as bad as they were before, and now with the new formulas, going back to percentage of uh, um, uh, you know your income, it might even be better. So royalty rent has now outdone the royalties. But the big thing here is that with so many. Uh, small station owners um, suffering and not being able to make money because they're selling commercials for 2 or $3 a spot hmm. in North Adams, Massachusetts, let's say. They just can't do that. It's just too much time-consuming to have their salespeople arranged to have spots aired, commercials aired, for 2 or $3 a commercial. And when it, when it costs more, like 100000 or $200,000 or $300,000 to run a station, complete with salespeople and a secretary and a couple of announcers and all that. It just doesn't add up anymore. And a lot of these small stations are probably going to disappear. Now, as far as my stations go, everything looks good. In fact, I can't even tell. <laughs> I can't tell one bit from my audience that they're abandoning my stations for new technology. Hmm. A lot of them have new technology. But many have said they've tried it out at nighttime when they can't get my stations, and they come back and they don't want the new technology anymore. Well, and my also, audience, Bob, I have to say that a lot of people just add yeah. on other technology. They keep the core thing and then they add other stuff. That's sort of like people right. watching TV and using the web and all of that. But, yeah, uh, but because also that some of my audience is elderly, right. okay, they never took the new media anyway. So I do not feel the effect that most stations are feeling. In fact, I think my listenership is higher than ever, uh, and it's been a gradual uphill since 1991. Wow. That's Bob Bidner, who owns and operates WJTO in Bath, Maine, and WJIB in Cambridge. Uh, Donna, this question, what's happening here in Boston with Clear Channel is happening in many cities across. Absolutely, yes. So how would you assess as one who writes about uh, radio in a a larger context. Is there a greater impact in a Boston that seems to have been kind of an incubator for independent stations, or is it about the same? Well, as I said earlier, Hmm. I think that Boston is kind of a wake-up call. I think that if we don't continue to find ways to be unique, then the next generation won't listen. So yes, I agree that Clear Channel has well-managed stations. They have, in some markets, they have a degree of local autonomy. But I think that overall, it's become an either-or situation. Either you have all the stations owned by corporations or you have a bunch of struggling small market owners. I think we need to find a middle ground. I think we need to find some unique, interesting, compelling local owners and empower them to do what they do. Now, again, whether they play the hits or whether they have some talk shows, I mean, whatever that market needs. But it can't just be a decision made out of Texas by some guy sitting looking at a bunch of numbers on a spreadsheet because what makes people listen is that personal connection. All right, that's a good place for us to stop and be thoughtful and look ahead. And perhaps we won't be having this conversation in a year ahead about another station. We hope not anyway. Thank you to no, you both. I don't think so. Not mine. <laughs> oh, God, no. I know that, not Bob. Not yours either. <laughs> We've been talking about Boston's Airways with Donna Halper and Bob Bittner. Donna Halper is a radio historian. She's the author of Boston Radio, 1920 to 2010, A History of Boston Stations and the Personalities Behind the Mic. Bob Bittner owns and operates WJTO in Bath. Maine and WJIB in Cambridge. Thanks again. Coming up, we go underground with a musical about the MBTA. You're listening to 89.7 WGBH Boston Public Radio.
WGBH programs exist because of you. And Volkswagen, proud to support the Boston Globe WGBH Summer Arts Weekend, presented by Citizens Bank. To find your closest Volkswagen dealership, you can go to vwdealer.com. That's the power of German engineering. And Harvard Vanguard Medical Associates, offering complete health care for you and your family. With 21 locations across greater Boston, Harvard Vanguard welcomes new patients and accepts most insurance. CareMadeEasy.org, an affiliate of Atrius Health. And from members of the Great Blue Hill Society, whose estate and planned giving arrangements to WGBH create a lasting legacy and ensure public media for generations to come. What will your legacy be? Kristen Iverson grew up in the 1960s in Colorado near the Rocky Flats Nuclear Weapons Factory, playing in fields and swimming in streams that it now appears were contaminated with plutonium. On the next Fresh Air, Iverson talks about her new book, Full Body Burden, Growing Up in the Nuclear Shadow of Rocky Flats. Join us. This afternoon at 2, here on 89.7 WGBH. Support WGBH right now and you'll automatically be entered to win a trip to England. Make an online gift and you and a guest could be going to visit High Clear Castle, referred to on Masterpiece simply as Downton Abbey. Prize includes round-trip airfare from Lufthansa, four-night stay at the Vineyard at Stockcross, and a private tour of High Clear Castle led by the Lady of the House, Fiona, Countess of Carnarvon. For a chance to win, visit WGBH.org. Context beyond the headlines. Issues you want to know more about. Stories you'll want to share. News and depth. Online at WGBHnews.org. Welcome back. I'm Callie Crossley, and this is T and MBTA Musical. It doesn't take much to bring the subway down But that doesn't mean you can't get across town Oh, it's a sad, sad day for the MBTA If we fail a customer in any way We can't handle it, we can't handle it, we can't handle it That song is The Tea Within. It's from Tea, an MBTA musical, part of the creative force behind this work. Join me in the studio. Melissa Caribia is a lyricist, composer, and music director, and Jeffrey Mosser directs the musical. Welcome to you both. Hi, Kelly. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. Uh, It's uh, so funny. The songs that I've heard, and we're going to play you. more of them so people can really get awesome. uh, uh, get a sense <laughs> of it. So, what inspired you, Melissa? All right. Well, um, so the tea is kind of like one of those things in Boston that you can't imagine life without. It's like the Red Sox. Um, When it's bad, everybody loves to complain about about it. It's on everybody's mind. And uh, when it's good, it's just a part of the fabric of our city that we sometimes take for granted. Um, So I came to Boston to come to school, and I rode the tea, and I was surprised that there wasn't a musical about it already. (laughs) (laughs) So did you just sit down one day and just started scribbling out? Notes or um, it actually it started off um, as a sketch for a political sketch troupe I was a part of. It was Mosaic and it was at Improv Boston in Cambridge, and it was originally only a six minute sketch, and it had Charlie from the Charlie Card in it. It had a party girl. It had some bros. It had <laughs> all of the characters you might find on the T. And then we decided it could be a full show. It was a little too fruitful to become just a sketch. So we took it and we fleshed it out, Mike Manship and I, the writer of the of the script, and we made it a full show. So Jeff, how did you become involved? Oh man. <laughs> they found me. They found me. I was brand new to Boston a couple years ago and I was just hoping to find a gig and hear these two come out of nowhere and say, Hey, we heard you like to do new theater, new works, new musicals why don't you take a ride with us? And I was like, yes, please. And they had some demos of the songs ready. I had read the script. By and large, I, I every minute of it was action-packed, nonstop. I was ready. To, I saw this as an event more than a theater mm-hmm. piece. It was mm-hmm. so exciting and so fun. And 
that's what we came away with and what we have now. Oh, talk about that a little bit, uh, because uh, my producer went to see the piece and uh-huh. she told me how it's staged. So the event part rather than a musical piece is, is very important. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, we try to make sure that it feels like you're on the uh, on a big red train at five in the afternoon, uh, anytime on a rush hour. Mm-hmm. Uh, we want to make sure that it feels like an intimate small space, even though that we're in uh, Club Oberon's very large space. And it's thanks to a lot of our designers that make that happen happen. Uh, we have seating right on the tee where actors are dancing right in front of you, immediately in front of you, so you feel like you're sitting right on the train with actors, mm-hmm. dancers right in front of you. It's really exciting. Um, and we don't take for granted that we're in a much larger space than the first incarnation of this show. Uh, we are everywhere. Everyone is taking up every space. And thanks to our choreographer and all of our designers, we've really expanded the show and to, to the nth degree. Uh, Club Oberon, for people who don't know, is uh, one of the uh, parts of the American Repertory Theater. Uh, some say it's the hip-happening part yep. uh, in Cambridge. Part nightclub and part theater. So it's perfect, Melissa, for a musical and for one that uh, would inspire, I'm sure, people to be yelling out and, and be interactive. Yes, yes. <laughs> I mean, so we have one song called The Bro Song, mm-hmm. um, which happens when the heroes of our story get to Kenmore Square. And one of them says, oh, no, we have to get off this train. And they hear this accordion solo. And then the train just floods with the Fenway crowd and all these frat boys and Red Sox shirts. And the audience gets into it. We, we encourage them to raise their drinks and hoot and holler along. And they all sing this great drinking song together. Um, and it makes you feel like you're really on the tea, like it's a part of the tea experience. Well, there's one song that I heard that I just think is totally infectious. Uh, we all do. It's called The People on the yes, Tea. that's one of the new numbers for this year. <laughs> yes. So you added it. And yeah. uh, it's a pro- if anybody has ever ridden the tea, I think even if you heard about the tea, you can relate to it. So here it is. It's titled The People on the Tea. Bums and drunks and creeps and punks all trying to touch your junk. I think the tea's really swell and makes me happy, can't you tell? Don't care how loudly nature calls, the tea is not a bathroom song. You might think that I'm the creep, but your bags take up three holes. Here you got my headphones on. Where everyone can hear the song. Don't get what young folks are about. You're always drunk and making out. This train is a public space. It's my American right to suck. The people on the team, they're just the same as you and me. And everybody's Caribbean, that's a good one. Thank you. Thank you so much. So did you write the lyrics as well? I did. I wrote all the lyrics and the music for the show. And um, what's great about that song is I actually crowdsourced it a little bit. Ah. I asked people, what are some of the strangest things you've seen on the tee? And so we had full dance numbers on the tee. One of the actual characters in that song is eating hot dogs out of her purse. And that's from a story that someone told me. A girl was eating hot dogs at 7 a.m. on the train. Oh, God. (laughs) Well, I have to ask because anything like this, you wonder if the the officials, the folks from the tea who run the tea, have come to see it, have heard about it. Yes. Tell us about that. Uh, at our first incarnation of this show, Richard Davies did come see yeah, the show. Richard Davies came to see it. Uh, and it, he loved it. He was blown away by it. We were watching his face the whole time. We're like, does he like it? Oh, I sat, <laughs> I sat watching him the whole time. It was great. He's got a sense of humor. Yeah. Oh, he, he, yeah. he posed for pictures with the cast afterwards and, and got a CD, and it was great. Well, yeah. in the midst of all of this turmoil, you know, with cuts and service cuts, mm-hmm. and, you know, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's a, uh, a way to look at it in a little bit more lighthearted way, though you're making some really clear points about service, about uh, the direction of um, the folks, the powers that be in terms of how they run the tea as well, which brings me to my next favorite song. Oh, <laughs> yes, excellent. Uh, and that's called uh, General Manager of the Month. Another new one, yes. <laughs> I love it. So uh, here's another song from Tea, an MBTA musical. It's titled General Manager of the Month. Let the city now witness the full power of the general manager of the month. 
I was last in my class, got cropped from the cream. A life so without direction, more ambitious men would scream. But I learned I had a talent for being careless and corrupt. So when the last GM was fired, I knew a guy who knew a guy. And so I was moving up to be the bundlingest of the bundlers, the emperor of the inept, mismanager extraordinaire, the sultan of staggering debt, the ineffectual intellectual to be the worst I vow, general manager of the month, that's me, at least for now. <laughs> I love that. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I just have to say it says a lot. Yes. That was our fabulous Ray O'Hare as the general manager of the month. Well, you have some great singers. Um, Thank we, you. We had uh, not too long ago two gentlemen who are venture capitalists and idea people, and they're talking about creating a whole space, an art space, actually in the tea. That's great. <laughs> yeah. um, that's what they're working on. It's it's gotten some traction. They have some funding. So I see this as an annual piece or a regular part of the repertoire. That would be great. Yeah, we actually put that on our Facebook page once we heard about that too. We posted that same <laughs> posting, and that sounds like an amazing you know connection to make. Mm-hmm. I think it would be just fabulous. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I'm interested about the audience. Are the audience people folks who ride the tea a lot, or theater people, or kind of a mix? <laughs> that's you know, we have so many – it appeals to everybody. The most important part of this story that I can tell you is that it isn't malicious towards the MBTA. It's to tell all of our stories and mm-hmm. it's towards all of our audiences who all have a story about the train. You could open up the phone lines right now and you'd hear a story of sadness, of grief, of tragedy, of comedy. Break dancing. Yes. Break dancing. Yeah. Uh, DJ night train. You would hear a story about <laughs> every personality you saw on the T and that is – if you've ridden the tea, if you have your own tea story, that's the audience we have. Yeah. That's the audience we're looking for, we've and that's even, who we love to have in our uh, with us. We've even had people from New York say mm. that resonated with me. I was like, really? We have a song about like Red Sox bros, but um, <laughs> everybody who's ever been in a on a public transit system of any kind knows a lot of the problems that we talk about in the show. Which brings me to because I, I the, the minute I heard about this, I started thinking, how many other songs are there about subways or public transportation? And the only one that I could come up with, I know you probably know more, so you could share because I'm interested, uh, was the one from uh, New York, New York, the movie with Gene Kelly and Frank Sinatra, mm-hmm. where they're the guys. It's an old movie. They're they're sailors and they're or they're, maybe they're just visiting New York. I can't remember. And the the lyric goes, New York, New York, a hell of a town. Mm-hmm. The Bronx is up, but the battery's down. The people ride. In a hole in the ground, New York, New York, it's a hell of a town. But that's the only reference I've ever heard of a song in a subway. Do you all know others? Um, there's Charlie and the MTA, the the song that was made famous mm-hmm. by the Kingston Trio. Okay. Um, the one that goes, let me tell you a story about a man named Charlie on a tragic and fateful day. It's about a guy who got trapped underground because he couldn't pay the exit fare. And it takes place <laughs> oh, in <God>. Boston. <laughs> um, and it's actually, Charlie is one of our characters in our show. Oh, okay. Yeah. A drop kick. Murphy's actually did oh, a, yeah. uh, re, uh, a remake of it, and it's pretty great. Skinhead on the end, pretty punk rock version yeah. of it. Yeah, but you would think that New York or some place like that that has a you know kind of fame subway system yeah. would have a couple of st- songs or, or at least a musical. Right, they got nothing. Right, so we're ahead. Yeah. I think so. Yeah, we are winning for now. Yeah. I think, I mean, you said a little bit of this at the beginning about the T being a, a, cent- a core of, yes. of Boston in some ways, but it's a personality as well. Mm. I'm not talking about the personalities that write it, but Mm-mm. I mean just the machinery, mm-hmm. the thing. I mean, can you speak to that, Jeff? One <laughs> of the final songs we have is called The Tea Within and how it's all about how we are all the tea. You know, mm. our personality is like the green line, mm. the B line. I start and stop a lot. You know, I start something, I stop. I can't get ahead. What am I doing? Uh, I'm like the red line. Uh, I move too fast, but I'm broken down inside. You know, there's something there's something wrong with all of it, and that's something that we're really speaking to throughout yeah. this entire show is how we the personality of the tea also can be personified in our, us and yeah. vice versa. Mm. Uh, you agree, Melissa? Yeah, I actually, um, in order to find out a lot about what the tea 
seems like to people. I actually looked up reviews of the different colored lines on Yelp. Oh, interesting. And um, found out, oh, people think that, you know, the orange line is kind of sketchy, but sometimes really high end. And <laughs> people think that the, the silver line, it's not a train. It's really not. It's a little deceiving. <laughs> you know, it's kind of fancy. Yes. And just I, I looked up the opinions of what people thought the characters of each line were. And that that crowdsourcing through Yelp, through Facebook, helped me to build a show that resonated with everybody. Did you have to take into account the history of bringing down the overheads in, into what the T has become now? You know, the, the elevated tracks and all of that that came down. And that, for a lot of people, changed the personality of the T. I it's not in the show, but I've recently started reading about it, especially all the because the orange line just turned 111. So yeah. it's very interesting to me. Mm-hmm. What do you want people to take away from it? I want them to walk away saying that was a slice of life. That was a great event. That was a slice of life. It was fun. Mm-hmm. I loved it. Yeah. That's what I want people to say. Yeah, <laughs> I want people to say that was a show about me mm-hmm. and my experience in the city. And man, was it fun. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we should say that this, as uh, you, I think you mentioned a little bit that it started off with Improv Boston, but it really, you, it's all independent now. Yep. You all are, mm-hmm. yep. it's all you guys working on it, and it's staged at Club Oberon through yep. uh, mid July. Is there mm-hmm. any chance of it being repeated or you know picked up later, or how's how? We've we're, been extended we're, to July thirteenth, and uh, we're looking to extend some more if we can. Would you move around, or would the, or would you try to stay there if you if you don't know? Oberon's a great, a great question. Space. Yeah, <laughs> um, if they wanted to have us longer, we would probably be open to extending there. But I don't think if we end at Oberon, it ends the show because people will keep riding the T as long as the T keeps running. Well, speaking of riding the T, and you you both have to comment on this. Okay, it was pointed <laughs> out to me by my producer that by the time the show gets out, you cannot ride the T home. <laughs> Let's comment on the irony yes. of that. <laughs> yes. I think that's that's uh, that's one of the conflicts of the show too. One of our characters mm-hmm. couldn't get home, and I think that's yes, it's part of the irony. We chose to, chose this time slot, full knowing that this may be uh, the result. And you know what? That's just shows us what world we're living in. It's exactly the slice of life. There but we are. The bar at the theater is still open till two. Yeah, <laughs> you're welcome to hang running. out. <laughs> Hang out, have a drink with the cast and crew. We're there. Maybe we'll drive you home. (laughs) Yeah, we might drive you home. (laughs) Thank you both so much. We've been talking about tea and MBTA musical. It's now on stage at Club Oberon in Cambridge. It runs every Friday through July 13th and maybe longer if if everything works out. I've been speaking with the creative force behind the musical, Melissa Carroll. Carubia, I got it, and Jeffrey Mosser. To learn more, visit WGBH.org slash Callie Crossley. Follow us on Twitter at Callie Crossley and become a fan on Facebook. Today's show was engineered by Alan Mattis, produced by Chelsea Murs, Will Roselip, and Abby Ruzica. Our intern is Sloan Paiva. We're a production of WGBH Boston Public Radio.